Let's go to the Lord. Father, we do. Thank you so much, God, for the opportunity that we have as we gather together as, as the church, Lord. And God, once again, I thank you for individuals who are, who are gifted, who are talented, that you've raised up to lead us in, in, in uh, singing and, and just lifting our hearts to you. God, I thank you that we can do that. And Lord, thank you for songwriters that write those songs and, and put those together. What a blessing it is. And I pray that our heart, our, our heart would continue in that attitude of worship and prayer as we get into your word, that Lord, you would touch us. And God, don't let us, don't let us just read words. Yeah, there's words on pages and there's sentences and verses and chapters. But God, the most important thing is there's truth. And I pray that truth would penetrate our hearts and, and, and hit us. And, and Lord, take us where we need to go. So we want to give you this time. And I pray that you'd remove any distractions, anything going on that might, might take our attention away from you. And God, that we could focus on you. And here's what I know, no matter where we're at, if we're in a low spot and life is, is kind of hit us and blindsided us and, and things aren't well, I know, Holy Spirit, that you want to minister to us. And if our life is going great and, and we're, we're, we're doing so well, I know, Holy Spirit, you want to minister to us. So wherever we're at, Spirit, speak to our hearts and draw us close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we begin chapter three here, it is kind of interesting because uh, the author, I almost said Paul, the author of Hebrews has, you know, taken us through all of this stuff about, you know, Jesus is greater than the angels, he's greater than the prophets, he's our great salvation, and even in that, he has, has a nature just like us, he can relate to us. Now he gets to what I consider a real sticky subject, not so much for us, but for the church he's writing to. And we have to keep in mind, remember, these are people who were Jews who converted to Christianity, and that's who he's writing to. And these people, man, they're struggling. We think, you know, with COVID and different things going on, we think life is hard. Man, for them, listen, for them, they've lost their families. They lost their jobs. They lost their community. You got kicked out of your community when you converted. All of the things going on. Hey, life was difficult for them. And this author is trying to bring them to the point where they're not so much focusing on circumstances and situations, but they're focusing on Jesus. And as he does that, he's got to elevate Jesus. So now what he's going to talk about is this guy named Moses. And this has got to be a difficult, you know, I, I, I read this section and I think, man, you got to tiptoe through this. This is hard. The Jews in the first century, they practically worshiped Moses. For them, Moses was the greatest person who ever lived. And rightly so. I mean, Abraham's great, but Moses is like, pshh. And so they had this, they had this infatuation with Moses and he has got to like, he's got to take them and, and steer them to get focused on Jesus, which sometimes can be difficult. Now, here's what I love about the way he is witnessing to them. And this might be a good tool for some of us. Listen carefully. 
He doesn't tear Moses down. He exalts Jesus. And we need to remember that sometimes because I know I've been guilty when I've shared with people and witnessed to people. I've taken their belief system and I've torn it apart and I've ripped all of that out from under them and then I expect them to listen to me about Jesus. Hey, they're freaking out because you just ruined their life. You just took everything away and then you go, oh, by the way, Jesus loves you. You know what they hear on that second part? Blah, 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 blah. Because my life, man, you are freaking me out. So remember that. You don't have to tear down. You just need to exalt Jesus. And so that's what this author is doing. Now, a little bit of history for those of us who are, are uh, not real familiar with Moses. I think most of us are. I look around the room and, and, and see, you know, a lot of people that I see every week. But, but just think about, just, just, and all of us need to stop and think about Moses and who Moses was. The fact that I mean, you just think about his birth, right? I just go to that, and I think, number one, I think it was pretty brave of his parents to just even have him. They had other children before him, and they knew the edict. They knew what was, what was said about if you have a male child, you got to kill him. So just to have him, just to go through that. And then, and then mom, you know, how many of you moms would take your newborn and stick them in this funky little boat you made, right, out of some stuff, and then just go, good luck, honey. I know most moms with newborns, you're vicious. I mean, you got a newborn, man, you're like, and, and, and I know he wasn't the first one, but especially the first one, right? Do you remember having that first child? Like in the hospital, you're all protected, it's all good. And then I, I remember they said, okay, you can, you can take your daughter home now. I don't want to. Like, because I don't know what to do. This isn't like a puppy, right? It's like, oh, and, and I remember Gaynell and I walking out going, what do we do with this? I don't know, but I guess what, right? But hey, there is no way you're gonna take my daughter out of my wife's hands and stick her in a little homemade boat and go, good luck. But thinking that, and then, and then the whole idea, you know, that, that and, then, and then she gets to take care of him, right, because of the thing, that, that just blows my mind. Hey, she wasn't just nursing him. She was pouring scripture into him. And so you have that going on, and so Moses is miraculous, right? We, we need to understand, just, just from his birth. He was definitely sent by God to do something. Then he kind of blows it in his calling. He gets ahead of God. Any of us do that? Any of us get ahead of God? And here's the thing. He gets ahead of God. And God, like, in my mind, God, like, benches him for 40 years. Imagine 40 years. Some of you haven't even lived 40 years. 40 years he's on the side, and he's got to learn and grow. And, and then, man, here's what blows my mind. When Moses comes back, just think of this. Think of this in our world of one person coming back telling the king of the world, you let my people go. And the king of the world said, I don't think so. And you're saying, I'm not funning you. I'm serious. You need to let my people go. 
And then you have the whole plague thing, right? And everything going on. Are you kind of getting the idea? Pretty great guy, right? You got all of that going on. Then he leads the people out. That's, that's like my favorite part. When they're leaving Egypt, the Egyptians give them stuff, right? I mean, they load them down with gold and silver and different things. And, and they're, you know, and just imagine you're going out, you're a slave, you got a cart or something, and you're going, where do we get all this stuff? I don't know. People put it in here. Let's just go. And then you're going and you're following Moses and you're thinking things are pretty good till you come to the sea in front of you and an army behind you. And what happens to the people? They're mad at Moses. And God says, come on, I got this, right? And he parts the Red Sea. I, I love that. When, whenever I think of that, I even think of the, you know, the movie with Charlton Heston. And, you know, but just like, just how, how amazing that had to be for those people and here's what I think, mostly for Moses. Don't you know that when that thing went, Moses went, wow. Like it's not, hey, he didn't do that every day, right? I think he is just as astonished, maybe even more so than them. They part the Red Sea, the people go through it. Now, I think it's amazing that people go, well, you know, it wasn't really the Red Sea. It was the Sea of Reeds. And if you know where the Sea of Reeds is, it's only ankle deep water and it was no big deal and blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on. My answer to them is, okay, if you want to go there, let's go there. And how did God drown an entire army in ankle deep water? So either way, you have a miracle, right? That's what I'm thinking. I don't, you know, now I believe it was a Red Sea. I believe it was parted. One year we did VBS for VBS. It was the, the whole Exodus thing. And man, it was one of my favorites. And it was in the building. We were just had that building over there. We didn't have this building yet. And we took one of the hallways and put blue tarps for water, right? Blue tarps down. And the kids, man, it's so fun to watch. And little guys are going through, you know, and they're walking through and they're like, oh. and the pastors, we got on ladders. And we squirted water on them. It was so good, man. But just to watch your faces, they're like this. <gasps> and they're just like thinking. And it's so, you know, it, it's kids, right? Having that, 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 that faith like a child. And they're just like amazed. But man, those people walk through. Then they get in the wilderness. And they do the 40 years in the wilderness. They go through all of that. In the midst of that, what happens? Probably the greatest thing for the Jews. What happens? Moses gives them the law. He comes with all of that. So they revered him, even that generation. And so what did God do? Here's what blows my mind. What did God do? God said, well, by the way, Moses was not perfect. He blew it, right? And he blew it to the degree where God said, bro, you're a really, really good servant, but you're not going to the promised land. And when Moses died, what did God do? God buried him. God took him away. Now, why did God do that? Well, if these people, centuries later, millenniums later, are elevating him almost to the point of worship, what would have they done if there was a tomb of Moses? God had to hide him, right? And God did that. So listen, so they're thinking all of that. So even in his death is a miracle that God hit him. So these people are like, whew. So you have these Christians that are still kind of hanging on to Moses. Now, I know that I'm speaking to a group of people. Not too many of you are really into Moses that much. But we still hang on to things. 
And the point is, let's kind of apply this. Listen, I know we can't apply the Moses part, but these people, let's put it this way. These people were trying to live in two worlds. They were trying to live in the Moses era and in the new Jesus era. Any of us doing that? Any of us hanging on to the whatever era or whatever thing in our life and Jesus at the same time? I'm sure your arms are getting stretched and tired because it's hard to live in two worlds. And that's what he's trying to fix for them and bring them to the point. So I want us to not so much think about, you know, think about what's, what's going on in uh, uh, Moses specifically, although let's going to talk about that, but we could put our whatever in place of Moses and, and do that. By the way, if you're not familiar, I want you to do a little homework. If you're not familiar, read Exodus and Numbers. Well, go ahead and read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But mainly Exodus and Numbers have, have the information about Moses, and it's sort of good to read. Now, I want to, before we move on, I do want to move to, uh, to this scripture here in Deuteronomy. Listen, as is, is it ends the whole uh, uh, era of Moses. Listen what it says. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before his servants, in all of his land, and by all the mighty power and the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. The Talmud, which is a commentary on the first five books of the Bible, supposedly. But the Talmud is basically this. Do you remember a few years ago, you guys remember WWJD? Everybody got one, right? What would Jesus do? People got bracelets, people did things, people wore, you know, you got t-shirts, you did all that. By the way, I, I do wanna let you know, my dog, Rocky, started that movement. <laughs> way before it was popular, Rocky was wearing a little thing on his collar that said, what would Jesus do? And, and from that, the entire world started wearing these bracelets and stuff because of Rocky. So, uh, but do you remember doing that? Well, here's what the Jews would say. What would Moses do? And the Talmud is kind of the answer to here's what Moses would do. So having said all of that now, that's, a, I know, kind of lengthy, but let's get into this. He says, therefore, and I think that therefore is coming out of since Jesus can relate to us, since he's our nature and he can relate to us, here's what he says. Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was faithful in all his house. So men, listen how he starts out. I love this. What does he call them? Listen to what he calls this group he's writing to. Holy brethren. Hey, there is no doubt that he's writing to Christians. He's not writing, you know, I love it when some people, you know, sometimes they'll say brethren, they'll go, oh, he's not really writing to Christians, they're just pretend Christians, whatever. These are definitely Christians. He says, holy brother, and then he says this, partakers of the heavenly calling. Hey, he's writing to people who are believers who are struggling in their faith. We struggle, don't, do you guys struggle? I do, I struggle at times, and it's a battle, so I kind of like what he's saying here. Listen to what he says, especially in light of when things get kind of dark and hard and difficult 
And sometimes you just, sometimes here's what we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Because we're selfish and self-centered and we just wanna go be with Jesus and we don't care who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. It's just all about us getting to heaven and getting out of here, right? So think about that. So he says, hey, you guys, church, let's just put that in there. Church, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. That word for consider is, we could say focus on, we could say concentrate on, we'll get more into that later. We could say, you know, meditate. I know for some people you bring up meditation, they go, whoa, it's okay. Biblical meditation is good. Eastern meditation is not. Eastern meditation tells you need to empty your mind and hum. Biblical meditation says take the truth and chew on it in your mind. Go over it and over it and over it. So here's what he's telling you and I. In the midst of your circumstance, in the midst of your difficulty, whatever's going on in your life, whatever is hammering you to where you're at the point like, man, here's what he says. Focus on, meditate on, fix your thoughts on the apostle and high priest, Christ Jesus. So what is he saying? Focus on Jesus. Quit focusing on your situation and your specific problem and focus on Jesus and exalt him and get, get your eyes looking to him. And that doesn't mean, listen, I'm not talking about a picture or a photograph or whatever. I'm talking about all that Jesus is and we're gonna talk about that at the end. But you do that and he says, hey, you need to do that. Now, here's what I find interesting. What does he call, have you ever in any scripture heard Jesus called an apostle? This is the only place. And some people get all freaked out. Well, was he an apostle or was he not an apostle? Well, it depends on the meaning of the term, right? Apostle simply means sent one. And if we think of that term and we think of it that way, Jesus was the apostle extraordinaire, right? He was the top of the top because he was sent by God to our world to die for our sins. So he's definitely an apostle. And when you think of high priest, you know, you could, you could put this word in there, intercessor. Now, I'm not gonna talk about high priest a lot right now because he's gonna focus on that, the author, in chapters four and five, so you have to keep coming if you wanna find out more about the high priest. That's just a little advertisement, and, and we want you to keep coming back. But listen, then he says, of our confession, Christ Jesus. So, hey, you have declared that you wanna follow Jesus. Well, then focus on him. Now, he lays that out. Now he begins, listen, he begins this thing that he wants to turn their, turn their whole uh, uh, attention on, and he says, hey, this Jesus was faithful, verse two, to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all his house. Now he's getting down to the nitty gritty. Now, when he says Moses was faithful in all of his house, he's not talking about his house house, where he lived, because Moses, the Moses we know, never lived in a house. He lived in a tent, right? He lived in a wilderness. So what is he doing when he says house? He's talking about all of his family, his church, only it wasn't the church then, right? So here's what he's saying. Moses was faithful in all of Israel. Once again, perfect? No. And here's something for all of us. To be faithful, you don't have to be perfect. 
You just need to be faithful. And Moses was faithful, right? Not perfect, but faithful. And he says, hey, Jesus was faithful to him who sent him. In other words, Jesus was faithful to the Father. And you can read the Gospels. Pick any Gospel for homework. Read that. And you find that. Just as Moses was faithful in his house. Now, don't you like the way he starts? Listen, he wants to talk to him about Jesus is greater than Moses, but he doesn't start there. Here's what he starts. He starts them equal. They're faithful. They're both faithful to what they were called to. That's important. And now here's what I'm thinking. Now those people are going to listen to him, right? In other words, let's, let's pretend we're reading this in the first century. You unscroll it, right? It's a scroll. And you read down, and you're kind of liking the prophet part. You're liking the angel part. You're liking everything. And then, and then you, get, you get to, you know, chapter 3, verse 1, although it wasn't chapter 3, verse 1. And you read that, and you go, okay, that's good. And then you read verse 2, and you go, okay, I'm still with you. I want to read on now. He brought up Moses. And so he brings him up. Then he declares, listen to what he declares in verse 3. For this one, meaning Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Oh, now we're getting a little touchy, right? Now we're starting to kind of come through things and, and listen to what he says. Jesus is more worthy of glory than the one who's part of the house. Moses was, what? Faithful in all of his house. And he says, the one who built the house is worthy of more honor than the house. What's, let's even just put that, just, let's, let's take it literally. Your house. I don't know if you built your own house or if you had it built. I, I've built a house. I've, I've remodeled houses. I've had a house built. And whenever I look at that house, I don't go, oh, house, you're so wonderful. Man, you're just so good. What do you do? You go, the person who built it, right? You look to them, the architect, the builder, our, our last house, the house we're living in now. It's the builder who did it, not, not the house. You don't, you don't come in and go, oh, house, I just love you. Well, some of us do. But it's the builder. And do you get his point? Listen, Jesus built the house. Jesus made Israel. Well, look, he goes on and he says that. Look what he says in verse four. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Here's what I love, man. Verse four is almost, almost a little bit parenthetical because he's talking about the one who builds a house is greater than the house. But then he talks about building in general. Like we know, I, I hope we know. This building didn't just like... And we went, wow, that's nice. When we look at something that has a design, what do we instantly think about? A designer, right? When you look at a house, you never, have you ever looked at a house and thought, wow, man, that house just grew right there. And it's nice. Now, when you see a really nice structure, you go, wow. Wonder who the architect was. Maybe you know. But you're looking at that. Well, here's what he's saying. Listen to what he says. God built all things. Do you understand? Don't you love the idea where he gets to creation? 
just talking about just getting them to focus on things. And maybe it wasn't so much for them. Maybe it's for future generations that we would understand that everything that exists, exists because of God. And God is a designer. Once again, look at the universe, look at everything. We talked about it a few, I think it's like a few months ago now, but when we talked about in chapter one, hey, he designed everything. And you look at how spectacular even our universe and the universe is beyond us. And you look at all of that and you start putting all that together and you go, wow, God designed that. Now, I like sometimes to talk to people who believe in evolution. Not often, but sometimes. And what I always do is this, I always go back to the beginning. When we talk about evolution, I go, okay, well, let's talk about it, but we have to go back to the beginning. Several years ago, we invited somebody from the Institute of Creation Research to come, one of their professors, one of their scientists, and he came to debate. And so we brought him, and we were looking for someone to debate him. We called the U of A. And we said, hey, do you have somebody in one of your departments that wants to debate this guy? He's from the Institute of Creation Research. Can you send somebody? And they said no. And we said, why? And they said, because those guys always win. <laughs> huh. That was an interesting. I mean, that still blows my mind. So then we called... Uh, Phoenix, we called ASU. And we asked them, and they go, yeah, we think we got a guy that'll come. So he came, they did the debate, they did things, and, and, and you know, any more debates aren't real debates, right? They each spoke on their topic of what they wanted to speak on. And, and his was like such a downer. I just remember at the end of his, there was like no hope. I'm thinking, man, whew, I feel bad for you. And then we had a time of Q&A, and people had to submit the questions. They just wanted to raise your hand, and I had submitted the question. Here's my question for every evolutionist. Can you get something from nothing? That's my question. So I submitted it to him. He read the question and he goes, that's philosophical, I'm not gonna answer it, and just set it aside. So I went up to him face to face afterwards, and I said, I'm the one who submitted that question, and I, it's not philosophical, I'm asking you as a scientist, can you get something from nothing? And he said, you already know the answer. And I said, I know I do. But I want you to tell me, you're a scientist. I'm a pastor. Can you get something from nothing? I don't want to answer that. I said, look, come on, man, let's be honest. Can you? And he goes, no. And I said, thank you. So you've just admitted something has to be eternal. Hey, I don't care. If an evolutionist wants to tell me a rock is eternal, that's their business. It's a little quacky, but that's their business. But something has to be eternal for anything to exist, period. We go back to that, and hey, that's the building block. And then just look at design. We never look at anything in our world, nothing do we look at and go, wow, that just appeared, you know, a bunch of, you know, our cars, a bunch of metal got together and blah, 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 and came together, and now I'm driving it. No, we know that somebody designed it. On and on and on we go. Well, why do we look at our world and say, oh, it just happened? So here's what this guy's saying. Every house is built by someone but he who built all things is God. 
God is the one who created. Here's what I love about scripture. Scripture doesn't take all of the time I just took to talk about creation. Here's what scripture does. Scripture just believes in creation. What does it say in the, be in, in the beginning? <laughs> well, it is in the beginning. In Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created. And that's all it doesn't say. Well, let me explain to you exactly how. I personally think Genesis chapter 1 should be a lot longer. There's a lot of explaining. But God doesn't do that. Why? Because God assumes creation. And God assumes he created. So same thing here. So now back to Moses. So he kind of is leading them down that path. Let's think about something. Let's think about the house. Let's think about builders. And then he says this in verse 5. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant. Now I want to stop there. Listen to what he's saying. He was faithful. If anything, Moses was faithful. He was faithful to what God called him to. He was faithful to execute it. He was faithful to walk to God with God. But he was a servant, and that is important to understand. Moses was a servant to God. And here's what's interesting. That word, I normally don't do this a lot. That word in the original language, this is the only place in the New Testament it's ever used as a servant, it's a medical term. Now, most people say it's more voluntary, but it's, it's a, basically a medical term. But he uses it here specifically that we would understand Moses was a servant in a special sense. So he's not tearing Moses down. He's building him up. He goes, yeah, he was a faithful servant even to the point. Now, I believe what follows should be parenthetical, but I'm going to read it right now. Moses was a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterwards. What's he talking about? What about those things spoken of afterwards? What was spoken of after Moses? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says, God is going to raise up a prophet like me. What was spoken of afterwards? Jesus. And so the author here is saying, it didn't stop with Moses. It went beyond Moses. So he's letting them know it's spoken afterwards. Then, if we take that, that parenthetical part out and we say, hey, we said Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant, but Christ was faithful as a son over his own house. Oh, do you hear the difference? Servant, son. A servant will never be over the house. The son will. And he says, a servant in the house, a servant over his own house. He just now took Jesus and put him way up here. Jesus isn't just a servant, he's the son. And I believe, listen, I believe he did it so well that the people, I believe the people would do this. Huh, wow, never thought of that. Remember, they're believers. We never kind of put it together that way. And I think they're amazed. Now, now once again, I know most of us don't have a problem with, with uh, Moses and worshiping him. But I want us to think about, number one, Jesus is a servant over his own house. And that's an important thing. Don't read on, you guys. Stop it. What does he mean by his house? Some of you already know, because you read, quit reading on. Some of you are looking down, still reading. He says he's the son over his house. 
Who is his house? What is his house? Listen, I love this. Over his house, whose we are. Now, I want to stop there just for a moment. Whose we are. He's including them, right? He's not saying whose I am, whose we are. Like, we're the house. Do you understand that we're the house? You kind of like that. I, I kind of like that. We're the house. We, hey, in Ephesians last uh, uh, Thursday night, we talked about, you know, be, being the family and coming together as a family, right? And being part of the family. And now we're talking about part of the house. We even talked about that some. Isn't it great how Ephesians and Hebrews, those of you who come on Thursday night, are kind of intertwining together here? And now listen, man, he's saying we're part, he, we're, we're his house. Have you ever thought of the fact that Jesus is using you and building you into something greater than you are? Have you ever thought that you're part of something way bigger than you are and you get to be part of that? You're just plugged into that special place. I want to read, I want to read Ephesians and, and uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and, and uh, uh, Peter here as we think about this. Here's what he says, listen, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. That's Ephesians 2. Look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, living stones rejected by men, but chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through, Christ, through Jesus Christ. How great is that? Do you know that God is taking us and fitting us right where we should be? In all of that, I'm talking about the church from the very beginning until he comes. We're all being put together. Woo! That is exciting to me. And he's got a special place. And you know those people who come in your life and really bug you? I mean, they really bug you. I mean, you've even quit sitting on this side of the church and you sit on that side of the church because they bug you so much. I don't know that anybody's doing that. I just said that. Now somebody over here is going, I can't believe he just called me out. I can't <laughs> but people bug you, and you know why they bug you? Because you need some chiseling, man. You need some work in your life so you can fit in that place. And, <laughs> and none of us like the... <laughs> we want to, listen, we just want to fit. Well, you're not just going to fit, saints. And we're being brought in, and, and I like, so we're his house, hallelujah, huh? Now he gives us a challenge, and I want us to think about it. He says, whose house we are, if we hold fast to the confidence, or hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, listen, I, I know that's worded in a way that, that is, it's a little bit scary for some of us, and, and we hear that if, and that if scares us. He's not telling you and I that we have to have this great grip on Jesus. My grip's not that strong. Sometimes I let go because I can't hold on any longer. I don't lose my, Jesus has got a grip on me. Jesus is getting me to heaven. He's already promised that. So I, I want to clarify that. And I believe all he's saying here is you and I need to understand Man, we need to look at our lives and we need to look at that confidence and that rejoicing and that hope that we have. So now we go back to verse one that says consider, consider him. And that word again in the original language is stronger than just, because some of us like we, we, we kind of, you know, blow it. again, focus, meditate. How do I do that? 
I think that's an important question. How do I, how do I hang on here, so to speak? How am I going to do that? Because you're not going to earn your way to salvation. But I want to enjoy, I don't know about you guys, I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. But I want to enjoy the trip. Like, I don't want to get drugged into heaven. You know, I don't want God just like, well, you made it. Hallelujah. I want to like have a good time as I'm going to heaven. And I think most of us do. So how do I do that? Well, number one, as we think about this meditation or whatever, number one, we have to have a desire in our heart. And for some of us, if we're honest, that desire we had in the beginning, it's kind of faded. It's not as strong as it used to be. There's other things that got in the way, maybe even some religious things. Well, we got to deal with those. We got to make sure those are taken care of. Ask God to light that fire again. Ask him to move on you in such a way that you have that desire. And then with that desire, here's the hard part. Then with that desire, you got to concentrate on the fact that you want to stay close to Jesus. Every time I mess up, it's not Jesus who moves, it's me. And I gotta concentrate, and, and for me, I have a hard time concentrating. That's the difficult thing for me. Like, I had ADD before there was ADD, before they diagnosed that kind of stuff. I was that kid in school that, you know, teachers, when they saw my name on the roll, they went, seriously. <laughs> I think they even met in the lunchroom before and said, hey, if you take Pat, I'll take two of your worst ones. <laughs> and I think there was trading going on. And I was that guy, and because and I couldn't concentrate, I don't, I don't like it. Even, even now, I have to shut everything out. If I'm going to study in my office, I shut the door, and, you know, it's great. All of the staff, they know if my door's shut, that means I'm trying to, I'm trying, notice, to focus and concentrate. But here's the problem, man. There's gadgets. Like, I read all of my books on an iPad because I just like having a library with me wherever I go. So that's not so much a distraction. And I'll be reading away, and I'll read something, and then my mind just like, Psh! and I see my computer, my laptop sitting right there, and I go, oh, I'm going to go look that up. Now, it has nothing to do with what I'm studying. It's something that triggered in my mind, and then I'm doing that. So concentrate, focus. And then as we concentrate, listen, as we concentrate, then we need that discipline. And here's the thing. The desire and the concentration are going to do nothing if you don't discipline yourself. And then all of that takes time. That's what he's telling us when he's talking about holding fast. He's telling us, stop and do this. Just make yourself do this. And then here's what I love, man, when he says, hey, man, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope uh, and, and hold on to that firm to the end. Do you ever sit and meditate on what Jesus did for you? The fact that he came out of heaven. Hey, Jesus came out of heaven, invaded our world for you. He suffered through life, the things that he went through, the temptations, the ridicule, the mocking, everything he went through, the cross, and people, you know, coming and sneering at him as he was on the cross. All of that was horrible. But how about this? Have you ever thought about this just even for a moment? Every atrocity that has ever happened in our globe, from the beginning of history till the end of history, 
And there's some pretty dark, ugly stuff. He paid for that. As he sat on the, as he sat, as he was on the cross. He paid for that. That was there. And we need to understand it. I mean, just meditate on that for a minute, and it's going to give you some hope. If he was willing to do all that, he's not going to give up on you. So, saints, take Moses out and plug in your world, whatever it is that's, that's, that's robbing you of that relationship with him, and begin to elevate him and de-elevate that. Like, get him up here and that thing here. And here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have him up here and then you're gonna slip and do stuff and then, and then, and then it's gonna come down and then it's gonna like get here and you're gonna, and then it's gonna get here and then, and then pretty soon it's gonna do this and you're gonna go, what happened? Then you're gonna come to reality and then you're gonna get, hey, I'm telling you, you're not gonna always keep it great. But are you gonna fight for it? Yeah, let's fight for it. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for your challenge this morning. And yeah, we're reading about Moses, but we understand, we realize Moses isn't our issue. Our issue is, and each one of us can fill in that blank however, however we want. Our issue might even be this church, Calvary Chapel. We've, we've replaced our relationship with Jesus with our relationship with the church. And God, I pray, I pray right now that we would be a people who elevate the name of Jesus, who exalt the name of Jesus in our lives, that others may see that in this time of confusion, this time of chaos, this time where it seems our, our, our world, this thing called the United States of America kind of has again flipped over and is all upside down and crazy. I pray, God, that as we think about that, that we wouldn't focus and direct our attention there, but we would consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, this one called Christ Jesus, and draw our hearts close to you. And I'm gonna ask everyone to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes, and if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you need to understand something. What I talked about him going on the cross and the things he suffered, he went to the cross and he died for your sin. He took your place. You have sinned and what you owe for that is death, not physical death, but separation from God. He took your place and now he offers you this receipt that says your debt is paid in full and you can either accept that and rejoice in the fact that now you don't owe for your sin or you can hang on to your sin. It's up to you. If you want to accept that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's going to be a simple prayer. And you can say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. If you're backslidden, man, come home. We talked about drifting a few weeks ago. Come back to Jesus right now and let him know you want to come home. Here's what I know. He'll say, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. So if you backslid, say this prayer with us. If you're watching online, hey, you can stand up at home. You can do this. You can say this prayer, and God will hear you. It, you don't have to be in this building. So once again, repeat this after me. You can do it out loud. 
or you can do it silently. It's not volume, but it's sincerity of heart. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And today, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you right now for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and I want you to change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and my Savior.